I know. Some of you um, who really love Jesus like that. Others are like, um, is that even allowed in the church? (laughs) And I would say, yes, it is. And it's my birthday today, so I can play whatever song I want. I confess, um, 37 has been a hard year for me. I don't, you know. (laughs) That was from the great... Shay Lin, I love him, a pastor, a musical artist who is very, very smart. He writes smart. He is smart and very biblical, and I couldn't think of a better intro for our, our talk this morning. Well, welcome back to our series in the book of 2 Peter. Last week, Jim finished 2 Peter chapter 1 with these words, and it's really important because we're going to bring out contrast this morning. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those are words from and about God's true prophets and God's true teachers. This morning in our text, we're going to talk about false prophets, and false teachers. If you'd like to follow along more closely, you can. Just go to the YouVersion Bible app, and you'll find my outline there under the Events Center. You'll see New Heights. Click on that. Before we dive into the text, let me give you a a 30,000-foot view, an overview of the teach this morning. We're going to look at a warning, a warning about false teachers, punishment for false teaching, three examples And then thank you, Jesus, we'll end on a high note. God will rescue the righteous. He delivers those. He delivers those who trust in him. All right, please, if you haven't already, open your Bibles or Bible apps to 2 Peter. That's in the New Testament, chapter 2, and we'll start with a warning about false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And let me tell you what they're going to do. They have an agenda. Remember, our enemy always has an agenda. When we walk through life somewhat passive and somewhat neutral, um, it means we're not aware of an enemy who seeks to to kill and destroy, right? Here's, Here's what he wants to do. Secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Verse 2. Many, how sad, how sad, that breaks my heart. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Verse three, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories and their condemnation has been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping The gist there is it feels like the destruction has been sleeping. You're like, man, they're getting away with everything, but eventually they won't. Up until these verses, second, Peter has been a whole lot of happy. Um, This is the meat of second Peter where you're probably thinking to yourself, as we said in our first talk in this series, we're like, I've never heard a a sermon in second Peter. This is why. Most, most Most pastors, most Sadly, most churches go, ah, woo, second, ah, I don't want to do second Peter. This is the reason why. 
So far, we've, we've talked about who we are in Christ and because of the righteousness of Christ, we have this, this precious faith. And then we looked at how his divine power is at, at work in us, but as much as God is committed to our spiritual growth, Peter challenged us with this concept. We must also be committed to our, our spiritual growth. It's the both and. And then last week, Jim finished chapter one by talking about the reliability of God's prophetic message spoken through his prophets. But now our teaching is going to get a little more intense. It's going to have a little bite to it. Look at verse 1 again. Let's, let's walk through it together. But there were also false prophets among the people. Underline the word but. The word but shows a contrast between true prophets at the end of chapter 1 and false prophets at the beginning of chapter 2. And Peter basically says, hey, false prophets have always been around. This isn't something new. And they're, they're, they're going to be around even now. They're going to be around to the end of the age. They're never going to go away. As a matter of fact, he says, they were back in the, the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prof prophets are prophesying to you. They will fill you with false hopes. Wow. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. This is one of my all-time favorite scriptures. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 10 tells us that God's people often didn't want to hear what was true, but rather what made them feel good. They tell the seers, stop seeing visions. They were having godly visions. Stop. They tell the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Throughout my, my years as a pastor, it hasn't happened often, mostly from my very own family who's heard me teach, many who don't know the Lord. Uh, many have come to know the Lord. Also from some people who claim to be believers, I've said things from God's word that's pretty true, pretty straight, pretty biblical, pretty, pretty simple, but hard. And they said, whoa, 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 you can't say that. You can't have that sexual ethic. You can't say Jesus is the only way. You, you can't say that today. Tell us lies. Tell us nice, nice things. Another translation, tell us smooth things. I just want some smooth things, not hard things. Again, verse one, but there are also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you, not just Israel of the past, but right now in the present. The word among means they're within us. They, they sit within us, they're in our culture, they, they write books in our camp, they speak messages from our from our camp, the fourth verse of the book of Jude is even more detailed. Jude chapter 1 and verse 4, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. The apostle Paul gave a similar warning to the elders of Ephesus as he prepared to depart to go to his imminent death, Paul said these words, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Elders of Ephesus, elders of New Heights, keep watch over yourselves. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And oh, by the way, keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Another word for elder. Be shepherds of the church of God, who, which he bought with his own blood. It came at great cost. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in, what's the word? Among you. 
Like they're sitting here right now. And they're going to be kind and gentle to the flock. And they're going to agree with the, no, 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 no. What, what, what are they going to do? They will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men and women will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So as I was walking through this teaching, as we were preparing together during our worship planning, we began to realize we needed to address two questions. Number one, because I know what you're, you're sitting there thinking, hey, this is heavy. Already, Lee, this is heavy. You're making it heavy. The text is making it heavy. So two questions that we need to address. What is not false teaching? So we can kind of go, oh. and then what is false teaching? So let's start with what is not false teaching. It's important to point out the difference between false teaching and denominational disagreements, what I call first and second order issues. These are, these are second order issues, right? Here, here's the first one, you see it up there. Church government differences. To deacon or not to deacon? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, here at New Heights, we're, we're, an, we're an elder-led church. We believe the Bible teaches that there are elders that should lead the church. The Bible also talks about deacons, but you never hear us talk about deacons. Why? We assume people who lead ministries, community groups, to a certain extent, even staff, are kind of deacons. We're okay with that. Other churches you've been a, a part of, they don't have elders. They call the deacons kind of the elders. Other churches don't have deacons or elders. They have a board. That's okay. That's okay. These are second order issues. Now, do I believe the Bible clearly teaches that elders should lead the church? I, I do, but it's not gonna separate me. It's not gonna send anybody to hell, okay? It's not false teaching, it's preferential. Number two, style of worship. This is not false teaching. Hymns, contemporary, monastic chants. At New Heights, you know what we do, mainly contemporary. A few hymns, um, no monastic chants, not yet. Number three, Baptism, to dunk or not to dunk? Again, at New Heights, we believe the word baptismo, which means to immerse, is, it's pretty clear that we need to immerse. We look in scripture, they immerse. Now, there's some denominations, my wife came out of one, the Presbyterian Church of America, a great denomination, godly, Tim Keller's denomination. They sprinkle. Do we agree with that? No, does, does it mean we can't fellowship? Does it mean we can't hang out? Does it mean you can't come here and be a member? No, you can't, that's okay. Second order issue. Number four, es um, pardon me, free will versus election. Uh, everyone's tensing up even as I say this. And if you're tensing up even as I say this, you are chosen to tense up even as I say this. Isn't that great? I love Calvinism. Everything works all the time, no matter what. <laughs> I love it. Free my choice are chosen. You've heard Jim and I say this many, many times. If not, I'll say it again. For Jim and I, um, you might ask us, well, are you, are you a Calvinist? Do you believe in election? Yes. Whoa. Well, do you believe in a form of free will? Yes. Ah. Oh. We say, the phrase we use is we embrace the mystery. If you go to a church that just teaches Calvinism, that's fine. If you go to a church that just teaches Arminianism, Free choice, that's fine. We prefer kind of trying to find a balance because we believe the scripture's pretty mysterious about that, probably on purpose. But once again, second order issue. Number five, eschatology. This is your big fancy word uh, of the morning. Eschatos means um, last days or end times. So end times, end times teaching, pre, mid, or post-tribulation, to which we would say yes. 
Now, when we come to the text, we'll teach on it and you'll get our, our view. We won't leave you hanging. But the reality is you can believe any one of these views and still get to heaven. Number six, here's the big one. Charismatic versus non-charismatic. To lift hands or not to lift hands. You say, well, that's not char- no, that's not charismatic. I'm just being funny. The real issue is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So um, I want to be real fair here. There are some people in our midst right now I love them. I used to be one of you. You are a cessationist. You believe that, the, that some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still evident. Primarily, like the gifts of teaching, you know, the spiritual gifts of service and teaching, those type of things. But the sign gifts, you'd say those have ceased to exist. You know what? We're okay with that. Now, I think if you've been here long enough, you realize, Jim, myself, I think everyone who stands up here and teaches... We are not cessationists. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts are still evident today. But if you don't, that's okay. You can still be a member. You can still serve. You can still be a part. You're you're not a second-class citizen. Number seven, Bible translation. NIV, ESV, by and large, it's all good with me, okay? Now, I'm going to clarify. Don't get nervous. I, I, I didn't say Bible transliteration. I don't want to use a text that someone just kind of, they themselves looked at the NIV and translated on their own. That's a transliteration. A translation is, is scholars, men and women, take the oldest manuscripts and they, they translate them. So what versions do we use? I usually use an NIV, so does Jim. Sometimes I'll use ESV. Sometimes I'll, I'll use the New Living Translation. The point is, make sure you find a translation that's using the oldest manuscripts and it's translated from those. Okay, now, false teaching is that which opposes some fundamental truth or that which is necessary for salvation. The following are some examples of false teaching. This has become really prevalent in the last 15, 20 years. Number one, the erasing of hell. I know, even as I say hell, we go... Ah, ah, I don't know what to do with that. A denial of hell directly contradicts who? Jesus' words. Jesus' words, Matthew 10, Matthew 25, and is therefore a false teaching. Number two, the idea that there are many paths to God. This philosophy has become popular um, recently. I say more popular, it's always been popular under the guise of tolerance. And, and this false teaching claims that since God is love, he will accept any religious effort as long as its practitioner is sincere. To which I would say such relativism flies in the face of the entire Bible. But more importantly, it effectively eliminates any need for the Son of God to take on flesh and be crucified for us. Why? It makes no sense. And it contradicts, once again, the clear teaching of Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way. Definite article, the meaning I am the one and only way, the one and only truth, and the one and only life. No man, no woman, no child can get to the Father unless they come through me. You say, man, I, I, I got this uncle. He's the nicest guy in the world. He's so nice. He's nicer than you, Lee, but he doesn't believe in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, woman, child, or nice uncle comes with the Father 
unless they come through me. Number three, another false, false teaching. Any teaching that redefines the person of Jesus Christ, that is teaching that denies his deity, his virgin birth, his sinless nature, his actual physical bodily death on a cross where he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, none. Or his physical resurrection. Any teaching like this is false teaching. Number four, this is long, bear with me. Teaching that adds um, human religious works to Christ's finished work on the cross as necessary ingredients for salvation. This teaching may pay lip service to salvation by faith alone, but insists that some form of religious ritual is necessary. It is the Jesus and teaching. You say, what is that? Jesus and, I've got to help out Jesus with my salvation. Jesus and good works. Jesus and something else, not Jesus alone. False teaching. Number five, last one. The teaching that presents grace as a license to sin. Sometimes called easy believism. This false teaching implies that all one must do for right standing with God is to believe the facts about Jesus, pray a prayer at some point, and then resume control of one's life with the assurance of heaven at the end. This may be one of the worst. Johnny, did you pray that prayer? I did, I was seven at vacation Bible school. Johnny, you are living like a demon for the last 30 years. You're bearing no spiritual fruit. You, you don't go to church. You could care less about God. That's okay. I prayed a prayer at seven when I was in vacation Bible school. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 states that, you ready for this? Those who are in Christ become what? New creation. New creation. That transformation in response to a believer's faith in Christ and repentance changes the outward behaviors. Get this. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 6. To know and love Christ, to know and love, to know and love Christ is to obey him. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Depart from me. You say, Well, I gotta be perfect. No, you gotta be perfect. You stumble. You get up, you confess, you stumble, you get up, you bear fruit, you stumble a little bit less, you get up, you, 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 drink, you drink deep, spiritual discipline, that's the Christian walk. But to say, hey, I prayed a prayer, I'm living my life now, I'm safe, I'm in. No, it's not found in the scriptures. False doctrine. And let me just remind us, False teaching is always going to be around. Listen to these words from A.W. Tozier. Really insightful. He says, I'll read it slow because it's, it's a little heavy. Each generation of Christians must look to its beliefs. While truth itself is unchanging, the minds of men and women are porous vessels out of which truth can leak and into which air may seep to dilute the truth they contain. The human heart is heretical by nature and runs to error as naturally as a garden to weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. I mean, quickly. Quickly. 
So how do we practically fight false teaching? How do we cultivate truth and root out error? Three, three action steps. Number one, be careful and cautious. Not every Christian bestseller in the bookstore, I know there's really no bookstores anymore, but you know what I mean. Wow, can you imagine we'd ever say that? I know bookstores are leaving us. Not every Christian bestseller in the bookstore is the best book to read and not every popular preacher is worth listening to. Write this down. Not every podcast is biblical or valid. Yeah, but it's on, it's on what? I can do a podcast. What a scary thought. Just me and my garage riffing, right? First John chapter four, verse one says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. What do you do? You test the spirits to see whether they are from God and because many false prophets have, have, gone, have gone out into the world. It is important to have a healthy skepticism when it comes to spiritual claims. Why? Because false teachers don't walk around with name tags and say, hey, I'm Bill, I'm a false teacher. They don't do that. I love this proverb, it's a great proverb. Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14 and verse 15. The simple believe anything, but the prudent, the wise, they give thought. They give thought to how they walk, how they think, what they read, what they, what they listen to. Number two, number two, how do we fight false teaching? Be a Berean. Compare everything, and I mean everything, to the word of God. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and, get this, they examined the scriptures every single day to see if what Paul said was true. Don't you dare trust Jim. Don't you trust me. Don't you trust Matt Chandler or Tim Keller or any podcast or a bestseller or a book that a friend recommended and said change their life, don't trust it, study it, compare it to the word of God. Let God be true and every man what? A liar. A liar. Number three, how do we fight false teaching? We need to wake up. We need to stop being spiritually sleepy. I would add this, we need to own our own walk. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, and do this, understand the, this is really important, understand the time you live in. Understand, I'm reading through Esther right now in my quiet time, and it's like, man, Mordecai's, Esther's like, what do I do? They're gonna kill all the Jews. And Mordecai, her uncle's like, here's what you do. You understand the time you live in. For such a time as this, God raised you up. For such a time as this, God has raised us up. Don't be like, I don't know what to do. Everything's changing. They're hating Christians. That's okay. Nothing new. We've just had kind of a 200-year reprieve, 230-year reprieve. It's been kind of nice. Welcome to the rest of the world. Yeah, I know, but I want my kids to what? What? What do you want them to do? How about stand and be strong? How about know the word of God? How about be spirit-led and spirit-reliant? The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So here's what we want to do. This is so good. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Yeah, I know. I struggle with them too. They're fun for a season. And here's what you do. You put on the armor of light. Practically, this means take control of your own spiritual walk. 
If you're regularly gathering with God's people, like you are this morning, to hear God's word and and community as well, if you're taking responsibility to grow by reading and studying the scriptures, and you're praying without ceasing, and you're giving back to God the things that he's given to you, that's weird, but that's what he does. He gives to you, he trusts you to give back. If you're moved to go with the gospel to your neighbor and to the nations, you will be well situated to spot, spot what is false and embrace what is true. If you're ignoring these things called the spiritual disciplines, when error comes, here's what you'll do. Ah, I don't know, I think I'll deconvert. I'm done. But if you're in the game, the game's not too fast for you. It's not too fast. You're in the word, you're in prayer, you're in fellowship, you're in community. Then you go, okay, I can spot it. I can spot, I can see it. The end of verse three describes the doom of false teachers. Second Peter chapter two and verse three, Peter says this, their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction, again, he knows, we're thinking, well, wait a second, they're getting away with this. No, no, eventually they won't. Their destruction has not been sleeping. And this leads to our second point this morning. And that is some examples of punishment for false teaching. The punishment will come. It feels as though God is sleeping. He's not. He gives three examples. The first example is bad angels. Verse 4. For if God did not spare angels, by the way, who he created, he created them. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, he's building, he's building a case here. Now who these angels are and what they did is not completely clear, but the main point is that God did not spare them. Jude also mentions these angels. Jude chapter one and verse six, a little more clarity. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, uh, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. God, God isn't sleeping. That day will come. Most biblical scholars think that this may be a reference to the angelic beings mentioned in Genesis chapter six who married women and created a race called the Nephilim, which means giants. I know what some of you are thinking, oh please, can we get into the Nephilim? No. I know Jim Hall loves the Nephilim. Jim, I'm not going Nephilim this morning. Okay, it's interesting, it's fascinating, Um, but I don't wanna get sidetracked. Here's the point. Angels sinned against God and he didn't let them get away with it. False teachers are sinning against God. Whether it's in this moment, rarely, or later, yes, he won't let them get away with it. He's building his case. Number two, example number two is the flood. Verse five, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. So he didn't spare the angels who created, he didn't spare the ancient world. They say, what is, what's he talking about here? I think most of us know he's referring to Noah. Noah's Ark, but it's important to realize why God sent a great flood. The backstory is, is really key here. Genesis chapter six and verse five. This is, verse always amazes me. Uh, Josh Graber and I were talking about this this morning. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Whoa. Um. You're thinking, man, I, Lee, it feels kind of bad right now. Much worse then. Much worse then. Verse seven, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created. I'm gonna do a redo. 
and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret. Man, can you imagine God saying that? I regret that I made them. Again, this example is given to us to let us know that just like bad angels, um, God didn't let them get away with it. He will punish those who reject him. Do you think God is serious about false teaching? Example number three, Sodom and Gomorrah, verse six, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. These two cities are best known for their sexual immorality, but there were other sins that brought about God's judgment. The prophet Ezekiel writes this, Ezekiel 16 and verse 49, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. You're like, wow, I I never knew that. They were haughty, prideful, and they did, this is the sexual immorality, they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I, I did away with them as you have seen. Okay, Lee, well, what, wow, that's, that's heavy. What's the point here? Here's the point. How God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah is an example to those who choose to live ungodly lives. And just like the first two examples, it's meant to be a warning to people who think they can do whatever they want regardless of what God says. Let me say that again. It is a warning to people who think they can do whatever they want regardless of what God says. Sin can be fun and even liberating for a season, but eventually there is a price to pay. False teaching may itch some ears and make people feel good in the moment. But ultimately, God says, and he gives us three examples, there will be a day of reckoning. Thankfully, we're not ending here. Peter is now gonna give us some examples of how God's grace reaches out to rescue those who put their their trust in him. Lastly this morning, number three, praise God, he will rescue the righteous. He delivers those who put their trust in him. In him. Example number one, Noah. Verse five. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse seven, by faith, underline faith. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. It's always about faith. Okay, and this pun is intended. Noah swam upstream against societal sins and his faith ended up saving him from drowning. Now, even though he had never seen rain, still, he built an ark in spite of all the ridicule he received, thus saving himself and, and his family. And decade after decade, decade, he was a preacher of righteousness, a herald of God's holiness, not hesitating to communicate what God wanted, wanted people to hear, even though they didn't want to hear this. Can you imagine? I want you to wrap your minds around this. 120 years. 120 
112 decades of speaking truth into culture and not one convert. Like the littlest bit of wind blows our way and it's a little bit different right now for Christianity. That Judeo-Christian ethic is kind of leaving us and yet still we're in a church and we're preaching and we're reading and we're watching and still but a little bit of wind comes and we just topple over. We're like, that's it, I'm giving up on this. 120 years speaking truth to culture. By faith, God, I trust you. And when the flood came, Noah was saved. And so was his family. Noah wasn't perfect, but he was courageous. Noah was gonna trust and stand for God. And because he did that, God rescued him. Example number two. Lot. This one isn't as good, but it's actually encouraging in a, in a strange sort of way. Verse seven, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, remember Lot lived in Sodom. For that righteous man, verse eight, living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. For some reason, Peter tells us three different times that Lot was righteous. That's fascinating because, and I did, and I have many times, if you look at how Lot lived, the word righteous is probably not the first word that comes to mind. I don't have time to do it, but if I did, if we were to look at Lot's life, we'd see that it was filled with a slow drifting. You may recall, and that's okay if you don't, I would encourage you to go back and, and read Genesis 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's really good. But Abraham and his nephew Lot, they, they come to this place, and Abraham says, hey, you can have whatever land you want. And Lot looks at the best land and just says, I want that. And the writer makes a point to say, yeah, but that's where all the wicked cities are. Yeah, I know, but I want that. Okay, but it's, I want that. And again, if you read it, it says that he camped initially outside of the city. And eventually when God was about to bring judgment, he sent angels to the city. It says the angels went and he was where? In the center of the city. Center of the city. He was filled with the slow drifting and, and he was seduced by the culture around him. His life is a reminder to me and a reminder to you that we cannot stand still spiritually. His life is a powerful illustration of the downward cycle of sin. Now get this, he had faith, but it was a passive faith. And that passive faith, I wasn't gonna do this, but that's more and more I read it, I thought I've gotta bring this out. It had two consequences, because passive faith has consequences. The first consequence is this. Um, he was miserable. Verse seven says that he was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. Verse eight says his soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Charles Spurgeon once said this, the Lord does not permit his children to sin successfully. He doesn't let me. 
I mean, I sin, I think I get away with it, and then the Holy Spirit wears me out. Lot was frustrated, but it was his own fault. He wasn't living like he should, and as a result, he was miserable. Let me just say this, that might be you today. Maybe the reason you're miserable is because you become passive and spiritually lazy. You'll sit in my office, you'll sit in Jim's office, you'll be like, man, I'm miserable. Tell me about your life. How's your time in the Word? Not doing it. Prayer? Uh Uh-uh, non-existent. Missional? Are you living on mission? Not really. Fix me. I can't fix you. I can't. Some of you are thinking, that's me, Lee. I've become passive and spiritually lazy, so what do I do? Here's all I got for you. Turn back to the lover of your soul. His arms are open. He'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you, and then he'll restore unto you, as it says to David in Psalm 51, the joy of your salvation. That's all I got for you. Repent, turn back, and Jesus says, I'm here. Let's get about the business of doing the things that matter for for the king and his kingdom. Second consequence, consequence of Lot's passive faith is this. He, he was a man without a mission. Lot had no impact on the city and the society he lived in. Didn't that just break your heart? I think there's like, out of, you know, a half of, I don't know, how many people live in America right now? 400 million? Is that roughly, am I close? 400 million? I'd say... 150 to 200 million would claim to be evangelical believers. Believers who say, I'm filled with the spirit of God, that I'm abiding in Christ and I want to produce, produce fruit that lasts. Really? I look around, God is gonna judge us for this. At all these churches and parachurches organizations, I'm thinking, what's going on? I don't, I don't get it. Lot had no impact on the city and society in which he lived. In contrast, Abraham, not perfect, but he interceded with God and he starts to count. He's outside the city, but he cares more for the city than Lot who's in the city. And he begins this, this, this countdown, this debate, this argument with God to see if God would spare the city. If you, God, if you could find 50 righteous people. No, 45, no, 40, no, 30, 20. And finally he ends at 10 and God says, you find 10 righteous people. And I will not destroy the city. Hey, by my count, there's Lot and Mrs. Lot, two married daughters and their husbands, and two unmarried daughters. That's eight. Do you think Lot could have shared the love of God with two people? You think two more people could have come to know Jesus? Lot obviously didn't even lead two others to the Lord. Abraham, outside the city, had more of an impact than Lot did inside the city. Please hear this. Lot was called righteous because he believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. But he didn't behave accordingly. Lot entered Sodom and then eventually Sodom entered Lot. And his loved ones found it difficult to leave. They wanted to stay. In the process, he was miserable and he lived without a mission, thus wasting his life. Example number three. You and me. Thank you, Jesus. He came to rescue us. I know this is cheesy, but I love this old hymn. For those of you who don't know, I won't go into detail, but I, 
I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 17 in an old independent fundamental Baptist church. Hymns only. Altar call the whole bit. I'm grateful for that. But I would sing this, this one hymn, at least a portion of it, and it always just wrecked me. It's a picture of what God did for me. I don't have it up on the screen. I just put it in this morning. But uh, the hymn goes like this. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Nothing else will ever help, by the way. Love lifted me. God loves us so much that when we were lost in our sin, God sent his son Jesus on a search and rescue mission. Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Please hear this. The only source of forgiveness is Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians, and I want you to see this, chapter one and verse 13, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you wanna learn more about what it means to be forgiven and rescued by Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, please find someone in just a few minutes on the prayer team or you can find me standing in the front and we would love to talk with you. Okay, let's wrap this up. At New Heights, we don't often recite creeds. We did it a few months ago. We're gonna do it again this morning. As the worship team comes back up, I just wanna remind us that since about AD 140, um, the early church has done this. For those early believers, the Apostles' Creed was a re weekly reinforcement of the totality of who Jesus really was. So this morning, I'd like us to do that. I'd like us as a body of believers to acknowledge who Jesus really is. So do me a favor, could you please stand? And we're gonna confess the Apostles' Creed together. This is another way to fight false teaching. So we're gonna say it together. Please forgive the awkward rhythm because we don't do this very often. Um, I'm gonna go slow, that's hard for me, but I'm gonna do it and let's, let's do it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. We just confess together that Jesus is who the scripture says he is. And in doing so, we have rebuked the spirit of Antichrist and all the false teachers 
and all the demonic spirits who would say otherwise. Doesn't that feel good? It feels right. For followers of Jesus, this is what we really believe. Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead and he's bringing a kingdom that will never end. And that's what we believe. This is what we really believe and this is what we will live for. And this is what we will die for. And on our deathbed, this is what we will confess. Let's pray. Father, we believe in Jesus. We believe he is the lover of our souls. We believe that he was, he was die, he died and was crucified, was buried, but rose again. Help us to be a people who know that, who believe that, who live that. Help us to be a people who study and live out your word. Help us to be a people when false prophets come and when false teachers teach. Help us to be like the Bereans and say, nope, doesn't match up. Nope, we're gonna stand with Jesus. Father, for those here this morning who don't know you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation that today would be the day that they confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, turning from their sin and turning to him alone as Savior. Father, help us to be a people of your word, a people who live for Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.